This is Tom from Third Rail Design Lab. And Chris from Deeply Dapper. And this is the part where we come up with a sound effect that's appropriate for the last episode of Game of Thrones ever, and I think it would be like... Wah, wah, wah. A million fanboys crying out in anguish. Fan genders, non-specific individuals, yes. Release the... Kraken! You know what the realm is. It's the thousand blades of Aegon's enemies. A story we agree to tell each other over and over till we forget that it's a lie. Well, Chris, this is it. This is the last Robot Kraken podcast ever about, <gasps> about main ga- Game of Thrones. I don't even know if I believe that, frankly, but <laughs> all the all the algorithms that follow our podcast and simulate listeners were like oh. but then I was kidding. I was kidding. Did you just urinate into something while you were talking. <laughs> I was, I'm talking I'm, to you about this and it's inappropriate. <laughs> I'm tyranning I'm tyranning it up with a delicious sangria in my infinity in mug. Wine? Yes. Well it's a sangria. Sangria. Yeah. Uh, so explain to me what that is. Well, if it's done properly, it's a red wine with some some sugars and some fruits and stuff, and it's allowed to percolate, and then you drink it on a hot day if you're in oh. Spain. Uh, in this instance, it's Kirkland Sangria <laughs> from Costco. <laughs> in this instance, it's Kirkland Sangria, the Costco brand, and I got it as a mixer for a specific cocktail, and here we are. So I'm just taking my lead from the, uh, from the hand of the uh, queen and king and king, and... Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, and having it in my infinity mug. So here, we're here to talk about the last episode of the current iteration of Game of Thrones. Indeed. Do you remember what the episode was called? I actually never saw what the episode was called. Soul crushing mal- soul crushing malaise I think is what they called it. <sighs> Everybody's so grumpy. <laughs> so just like last time I feel like half the story here is the way people are responding to it more than the choices that were actually made. But before we get to that, what are you having as a refreshing beverage? I'm drinking a Doc Ock, as I should be. Uh-huh, it's a yes. rum and Dr. Pepper. Ah, yes. Perfect. And it's delightful. That's our Sucking the Monkey seg- segment that's abridged for these uh, quick and dirty uh, weekly podcast sessions yes. where we don't have four have hours to, to wax and hours and yes. i have five hours of packing still <laughs> <laughs> you're in a bit of a time crunch but we couldn't let I... the last episode go without talking about it indeed so the fan response was exactly what i suspected it would be it was no, no surprise it's everyone has an opinion and they're sharing it and it's you know shock and awe everyone's miserable and depressed like pretty mixed to be honest with you I mean, I haven't read any, like, actual reviews of people because I've gotten tired of those. But as far as, like, my unofficial Facebook and or Twitter readings, it it feels very half and half as far as this episode is concerned. I'm seeing mostly um, either outrage or sort of cynical, well, we knew this was going to happen. It's... They've, uh, you know, shit the bed and blah, blah, blah. What do you expect? Blame the creators and all this. Or blame George R. R. Martin and whatever. But the voices of reason have been 
uh, thoughtfully nuanced in their commentary, which I appreciated. Because they mm-hmm. kind of knew. They knew that they were fighting a, a wave of this cultural reaction. We're at a point now where the, the zeitgeist is to backlash against Game of Thrones, I think. so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, for what time they had to cover the ground they had to cover uh, there's only so much you could expect out of that <laughs> I looked at this I looked at this episode in three ways one because that's how I am it's brand aware three ways one is uh, that uh, you know how how did it perform as a standalone episode then how did it perform as the culmination of these last two abridged seasons of lots of plot movement and less uh, connective tissue, and then finally, how does it behave as a endpoint for this eight seasons worth of story? And I think on the first and third points it did well, and on the second point it was did the best it could. Yeah, yeah, right. I think that's accurate. As it's going to get there. How do, how do you want to approach this? That's a good question, and I don't know if I have an answer for it. Um, it was almost linear enough that we could just talk about it. Yeah, I mean, really, that's true. Yeah. It it actually felt – it was so – so that's a thing. It was so different than the breakneck pace and the the kludging together of so many different things as, as they've done over the last several episodes that um, it had so few scenes that ga- that had so much breathing room that it felt shorter than it was to me. Yeah, it did. And I, man, I really feel like this is an episode that would have been better served had they decided, okay, we kind of screwed up. Maybe we need to make this last episode like three hours long, make it two one and a half hour episodes because I get why they wanted the stuff with John and Danny to be in the last episode or else it would have all been epilogue. Right. But it felt too rushed, in my opinion. This one did to you. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yes, there were some breathy parts, but by the same token, like, it goes literally from, yay, we won the city, to melty, melty in, like, what? 32 yeah, minutes? 40, yeah, 30 or 40 minutes. That's but actually, to me... a lot of freaking ground to cover. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose. But to me, it felt... I mean, it's definitely it was uh, cut into two chunks, which you can imagine each of those having more time, I suppose. But I didn't feel like there was a ton more um, other scenes that we didn't get. Like, it felt... I, maybe it was just my mindset when I was watching it, but I was very satisfied with this being the last of it. Like, it just... More so than I think by satis- being satisfied at some of the Herculean efforts to cram so much into those earlier episodes. Like, I just. You were okay with the time jump that they did. I, actually, I was, but, you know, I'm, I'm more uh, forgiving, I think, I of a lot like of this I feel like it was stuff. not communicated very well. Correct. They, they definitely, um, as, as the last two seasons have proven, it's. It's editing and execution half the time that that baffles me in their choices, even more than some of the writing choices. And in this yeah. instance, uh, their inability to... Well, okay, so they broke their narrative framework by doing a time jump, but at the same time, they didn't break from the rule that's hampered them this whole way, which is never establishing where... I don't believe they've ever done establishing titles, right? 
Have they ever done that? Like no, Marine? No, Marine, nothing. No. Right. So they've never I mean, had any established. Like, Welcome to Winterfell! As somebody sure. went through the course. But I don't think so. <laughs> it's all Bosler, Bosler, Boslerman style. Like it's a guy on a stilt, kind of stilts going by. <laughs> Someone doing backflips. There's a contortionist exactly for no reason. exactly how they typically do it, yeah. Precisely. I think, I, I think I'm skipping ahead to the, 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 the dubious brothels scheme. But anyway, so... I thought that um, I thought that it, it felt to me like, well, here was a case where if they had had that construct in any of the other sh- episodes where they could establish places and times, then it would have been clear. But because they didn't have that framework and they decided they weren't going to break break from all the eight seasons worth of this, that it was necessary to do things that would tell us the passage of time and they had bits such as in, all they had was a longer beard <laughs> that's a bit there was longer beard there was disheveled and malnourished looking john and then there was a uh you know really heavy-handed uh weed sticking out of the snow so i mean there's there are sen- there's a sense my sense was it was just weeks you know like 3 weeks or something between those two scenes but it, but again who knows right my coworker thought well, it was one week see and to me i felt like like the fact that there were docks and <laughs> yeah the city didn't seem to be an absolute ruin smoldering still like i feel Suggests like it's longer yeah yeah like to me i i would have liked to have seen like maybe some brief scenes of reconstruction or yeah, something too. along those lines or ravens appearing at Sansa and her taking the journey or you know stuff right. along those lines somewhere I feel like there could have been a solid 40 minutes of establishment between the death and what happened there like they covered I agree like the fact that Grey Worm has no interest in ruling or anything and is willing to listen to whoever's put in charge. That was just like taken for granted. I I think there was stuff like that that I would have liked to have seen a little more there there. But Well but I mean but this is exactly the point, right? We're guessing there's hints in all kinds of directions about the passage of time and part of that or I think a larger part of that is the the rushed nature of the compositing of these episodes and it's just editing fail like it shouldn't be we shouldn't have docks and reconstruction or we should you know what i mean like it's the 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 setting is inconsistent with the beard length which is inconsistent with them all sitting around a chair it was like almost it was almost like we suddenly were watching a a project that's being done by an art house director instead of the the way things have flown even if they've been too fast and and teleporty in the last few seasons, mm-hmm. we've never had this like fade to black, fade in, and it's like a theater scene where everyone is just sitting in chairs and right. no explanation for how this council was put together. Um, I felt like they were they were so focused on the structure of what they wanted to tell in that scene that they just figured that we would fill in the gaps, and that's fine, I guess, until you discover that that the unsullied still had people in chains. Like in the beginning <laughs> right. of that second scene when everybody, and we gotten ahead of ourselves, but in the beginning of that second scene where everybody's sitting in chairs and we're like, Oh, well there's our council. We were talking about There he is, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, six months later, everyone's gathering to talk about the future. And then 
and then you pull the the unsullied pull the characters out, and you're like, oh, actually, this is the, you know, this is weeks weeks to months after the 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 murder, maybe. Right. And yeah, it's very just it's very disjointed and and uh, seemed more like an an art house solution from two creators who have not been doing art house solutions to things on the show. Yeah. To me. Yeah. To me. I agree. So the fact I that it opens. Well, now, but the the fact that it opens with them doing the long walk through the destroyed uh, city. And, I mean, the the scene beats for the first act were long walk through the city, Tyrion seeing the results of everything that he had tried to avoid, him mm-hmm. searching for evidence of Cersei and Jaime, John, which was good. I thought they did yep. well with that. Yeah, John, John, and Davos seeing uh, the Unsullied acting in manners that are further inconsistent, even more inconsistent with the rules of war than their own northerns, northerners were forced or written into doing in the previous episode, right? Yeah. And then it's his walk right up to talk to her. Right. right. So, oh, no, oh, and then there's the Nazi rally and then him going to talk to her. So I, I think that there was a time, I think that there's a gap in pacing in that first act, which is, I think, that after... I think that the, everything leading up to the rally felt like the rally felt like it was needing to occur a little bit later than the walking through the streets. Like all of a sudden they were all arrayed and she was out there. Suddenly that felt like it was a week later, but it wasn't. It was at the same time or wasn't it? It just that felt choppy. Yeah. And then him no, coming back around and then him coming back around to actually have his his meet cute with Danny also felt like, well, is this supposed to be the very next scene or was more time he went and saw Tyrion, and then he comes back and does this. How much time actually passed there? Right. Yeah, there's no real indication of it at all. <laughs> but the choices made, I mean, given how rushed so much plot-heavy content was pushed in in these last several episodes, to have the breathing room for the long walk through the wreckage was mm-hmm. a relief. I really enjoyed it. It was a return to some of the atmospheric character-driven qualities of the show that I like the most, right? Yeah. There was a yeah. lot in this episode that reminded me of the Game of Thrones that I loved more than the action. I've always been bored by the action compared to the character work, and so... Right. Uh, and I thought it was I thought it was Peter Dinklage's episode. I mean, he, he just completely owned everything he was doing. Uh, Absolutely. From, Even when from the, what he was doing didn't necessarily make sense, per se. Yes, what yes. What did while he was doing it was excellent. And I guess, actually, that walk would have been a nice parallel had they shown him walking to the meeting place with Grey Worm through those same streets where it showed people, like, slowly picking up pieces or cleaning yeah. it up. That would have been a good, like, way to show time passing, now that you say that. Yeah, I wanted to see more parallels because they've been doing a lot. They've been playing around with mirroring scenes, and I mm-hmm. wanted to see more parallels with the journey up the wrong road into the keep uh, to sync up with Cersei's shame march coming back down. We saw the—I mean, there's multiple bells in this place, but there's the big bell <laughs> on the ground, right. and you know, there's the imagery of of that march is very similar, but right. Um, you know, in each of those characters' cases, this was their worst moment, right? Cersei's shame walk was her worst moment, and then this is his 
his shame walk of you know his ultimate uh, failure as a negotiator. Yeah, um, I don't know. I thought that the largely silent process by which he and Davos and John representing the remaining moral uh, core to what I guess is the protagonists was interesting. Uh, yeah, these are all people who have seen war and they've seen a lot of it. And Tyrion has done a lot of warmongering of his own. I mean, you know, the Battle of Blackwater Bay, and you know, he's he's definitely been in the shit. Mm-hmm. But but it was really believable to me. It was very harrowing. I didn't think we needed to see things such as close-ups on the the kid holding the horse for the umpteenth time, and that yeah. Kind of but there was some uh, there was some really good. Uh, casual horror going on. The guy that was mumbling walking on the street whose back was missing was just fucking amazing to me. Yeah, that was great. And there was a soldier crying in the corner. I mean, really good choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they definitely showed the aftermath of the horror of war really well in that scene in particular. In that scene. Um, yeah. The, the Arya thing was very strange. That we saw her mar- ride away on a white horse, and then all of a sudden you see her stand. Now in this episode, we see her standing around, looking at all the Dothraki. It looks like her horse, and then a bunch of Dothraki marching around 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 the perimeter. Mm-hmm. It, that was disjointed to me. Yeah, yeah, it was almost like they had not decided on that scene yeah. when this person when D and D started directing their episode or something. Right. Really... She rode 20 feet and got off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She it's just like rode those... the outskirts of the city and then was like, yeah, all right, good enough. Now to Shitty... walk back into the center of the city. <laughs> Shitty $2, $2 pony ride, you know. And we're done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, okay, so the idea that the Unsullied would be uh, cruel in their... Man by man by man execution of people. Not not so much Grey Worm's scene, but just in general, the idea that they would be going through and finishing the soldiers off mm-hmm. was not. Um, it was played as a shocking thing, like mm-hmm. look how inhumane they're being. But we've seen other examples in the course of the seasons where, in the wake of a war, they went through and killed all the people who were left. Now, granted, they yeah. weren't just standing around surrendering, but, you know, think of all the images, horrible images of them walking through the, the way, like at the end of the Battle of the Bastards, for example. What are they just walking around, thuck, thuck, and they're just pointing their sticky parts in the people who are still <laughs> moving, you know? So, yeah. I don't know. They, this is not, they, they like, when they, when it's convenient to them, they play up this supposed, uh, you know, contemporary view of medieval chivalry, and then on the other, and then at other times it's more realistic. Yeah, and, uh, no, I, I think yeah. that's true. I wasn't that surprised at the lining up of the uh, Lannister soldiers for execution. I was, I took note of the fact that Grey Worm was was personally doing it and doing it with quite a lot of conviction, and that was telling about this tragic re, uh, sort of redirection of his story that was unnecessary to me I once again that really spoke to the importance of them having done one scene with him and Danny talking about how surrender was too good for them or something about how 
wronged he had been by Masandi's death. Like Correct. throwing her thing into the fire wasn't enough to convey the level of agony that Grey Worm was going through. And the fact that um, he has always been a disciplined warrior, even as he fell in love and had sort of the dual masters of his, you know, of his queen and his loved one, he was always very reserved. And the idea that her death, which he can't have not been preparing for, <laughs> right. no matter how fast they rushed that scene to us, it wasn't rushed for him. They didn't teleport that fast. He knew that it wasn't, it wasn't good. Um, the fact that he would snap and be just so vengeful um, felt out of character, but also like you say, we just needed a piece of connective tissue of Danny saying, you know, just deeply intoning to him, they will pay to the last man. Yeah. Not, not, a, not a Lannister will survive. Not a Lannister supporter will survive. And that includes, and that, and, and that spreads to anybody who's ever resisted me. You know? Mm-hmm. Because th- that's the other thing. Some of her platitudes in her final scene um, were a leap. It was like they were giving Jon Snow every possible way. Like, everything was about... It was sort of like the being buried in the crypt. So that you have no choice but to be together when you die thing. Like, she was basically just throwing, jo- throwing it at Jon. I'm delusional, and I'm going to basically take this to every corner of this of this magical world and... I'm going to do to the, do to everyone what I did here, and I'm going to smile about it. Isn't it great? I mean, it was they were just laying it on. There was not enough ambiguity for me. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it's something that I would have liked to have seen. Although, in general, the way it, the way it played up was fine to me. I like the Tyrion thing a lot. I, I really like the fact. I love the fact that he stepped up to her Nazi rally and threw his pin down. Um, it was yeah, genuinely that was great. super tense for me. Yeah, that really worked for me too. I thought that that was such a great scene. I mean, he, I mean, because he, it was like him. It wasn't just defeat for him. It was like him finally, finally taking us. I mean, he had been taking stands, but there was something about it, knowing that it was a death sentence for him. Well, he already yeah. did when he released Jamie in the first place. But the fact that he would go up and just be like, "That's it," um, and he got to make that statement to her was fantastic too. But the rally. Uh, the producers have talked about the fact that they've used other um, fascist rallies as inspiration for some of her uh, speeches to her forces before. But this one was like on the nose, totally just, you know, everyone's in black. And I mean, the Unsullied were always black, but she's like in black and she's got a brand new leather suit and you've got banners flapping and black and red and everything, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, I mean, it was. It was a little over the top. I still can't figure out who braids her hair and does all of her cool outfits now, let alone who has the wherewithal to uh, sew or paint a massive banner on that scale. I can't find a piece of fabric. I think that more was than one yard wide. One of their sails. That was one of the only pieces oh, of their thing okay. that they did that actually worked for me. Was that was like okay. the last of their fleet. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. That makes sense. All right. Yeah, that was At the first only I was like, who did that for me? As far as like all this really nice set dressing that they do all the time, it it does not make sense most of the time. But that one actually did work for me because it did look like it was one of their sales got it okay that makes a lot more sense there was definitely a money shot when she steps out to talk to them and and Drogon is behind her and the Drogon's wings flare up symmetrically behind her and it's yes. this total Maleficent moment 
Um, it was definitely another one of these artful shots that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought they did a really good job with that, yeah. And, you know, her speech was interesting because... And even at the time, I was I was thinking to myself, like, now, who, who can speak Dothraki... And who can speak the unsoy language <laughs> we are here, <laughs> right? Well, and it was almost and I would, word for word what Khal Drogo said back when yeah. he was married. Well, yeah, was and, well, and then also, it was a reminder of all the promises that she made that, that showed just how little she was interested in a compromise solution to... Uh, you know, a, a peaceful leadership structure. She was like, no, we're just going to keep rolling. Um, and, but was, I was appreciating the fact that the, the, uh, Westerosian protagonists didn't know what she was saying and Tyrion had to lay it out for. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Actually. (laughs) I, I like, I imagine there's probably some, crossover with the Dothraki and the other guys just because they've been hanging out for so long. But right. yeah, there's there's only so many people that understood anything she was saying there. <laughs> but they've used that throughout the se- throughout season 8, they've made references and they did increasingly so as she felt isolated from mm-hmm. the Westerosi contingent. She started speaking to both the Dothraki and the Unsullied in their own language instead of the common tongue. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that she ex- she referred to Grey Worm exclusively by Grey Worm and Valerian in this episode. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, she, she called him by the Bodrogo or whatever his name was that she called him in the last one. That's right. So John goes and, and uh, goes and talks to Tyrion, who's in his room awaiting execution, and it's Tyrion's last desperate attempt to turn this tide and he puts everything into it and it's amazing to think of the the fact that the entire fate of this continent changed on that action yeah <laughs> I mean it really boils down to it's sort of like Arya killed the Night King and that changed the fate of the world and then that conversation changed the fate of the world not John yeah. actually doing a thing it was this was the umpteenth conversation the umpteenth time that he pushed until he finally broke through. Right. He had help. He had help. He had this genocide around him, but you know, it it was a thing and he, and he almost lost it. You saw that thing. I, you know, I love, I've talked about how much I love when he's not successful and you see him go, but yeah, that last one, that last little jab about the sisters. Yeah. Yeah. He had to get that in there and it was the only thing that made a difference there. I don't think that a lot of the dialogue in, all of the last two seasons have been great um, or particularly nuanced, but mm-hmm. I've enjoyed here and there. I see things that they do and I'm like, well, that part, whoever in the writer's room pulled that off. I'm glad that they did. For example, here, Tyrion says to John um, or John says to Tyrion, one of the two says that Sansa doesn't get to choose. She doesn't get mm-hmm. to choose. Right. And then that's the thing that da- Daenerys says to Jon right before he says, you'll always be my queen and stabs her. So it was the same <laughs> line. I like that a lot. Yeah. So we have the, so he walks away, whatever. And then we see him come up, uh, doing his, uh, I got to break up with her with a pointy end walk. Uh, <laughs> and I and I'm still thinking he, I feel like his character was hoping that she was going to see reason that he was going to find her and she's going to reveal 
guilt about what happened or wanting to bridge with the people that weren't murdered. And like, I think he was desperately looking for an excuse not to have to do a final solution. Yeah. I think he was definitely hoping for that at least. Uh, and we have that wonderful scene with, with Drogon <laughs> in the snow. Well, it's interesting. Also, we have the ash and the snow mixed together. So, mm-hmm. so, and uh, really inconsistent amounts of snow too. But that's okay. another thing that made me think that it's months later. Is that when they get to the the meeting, there's just those couple of tiny little spots of right. snow, and so all of a sudden now it's not the long winter. Apparently, it was just a a. I don't know, a, a well, cold weekend? <laughs> well, I re- I, every, I'm reading a lot that is saying that producers or writers or someone confirmed that the Night King was the one extending the long winters and the long seasons in Westeros, and that with the Night King and the White Walkers dead, it just becomes a normal winter. But I haven't seen any evidence of that directly. I haven't seen any interviews that said that. People are just saying sure. this or that. But hmm. we've got sprouts and we had sprouts in the in the north, so I mean, you yeah, know, yeah. I thought that was kind of go. an interesting idea there. I don't know how I feel about it, frankly. But I spent. Um, we had a lot of rain over the last uh, several days. Strange, late in the season rain, and one of the things I did was saturate our soil to the point that I went out and tackled some really bad uh, weeds that had burst through in a couple of areas on the property and took the chance because, you know, the ground was so saturated, it was a time to pull them, right? So I've been pulling weeds for, like, all yesterday I was pulling weeds to the point where I was sore, right? So here we are in that final, that final scene in this in this show, and I saw that little thing pop up out of the snow in that final moment, and my first instinct was, gotta pull that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let that grow! It's trouble! <laughs> so how did you feel about specifically the first part of this encounter, the John and Danny um, meet cute? How did you feel about how that went? I really like the fact that she was um, her entire walk up to the Iron Throne was very reminiscent of the vision she had in the House of the Undying. Yeah. thought that was really excellent. I like that she touched it, but didn't yeah on it before John yes. walked in. Totally. Never sat on it, right? Did she ever sit no, down? She, she never no. sat down. She turned and walked to him instead of sitting down on the throne. And I thought yeah, that was a would, really interesting touch. I was struck by the fact that she never sat in the Iron Throne. I thought yeah. that, I mean, I thought that was obviously a deliberate choice and really powerful to me. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that she waited so long as her hand was hovering over it before she touched the the, yeah, the yeah, you can the, feel that like hesitancy, but also kind of that reverence with it. Well, and and that and was... the well, and the fact that we sh- they showed her from kind of from behind go up and uh, have this moment and and touch it, and then John comes in and she turns. We don't know what her we don't really understand what her mood is there. Right. Until she turns and she's like, hey, <laughs> you know, yeah. and you're like, hey, oh, hey. no, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. She's got the wrong. She got the wrong message from this victory. You know, yes. it was it did read as a forced optimism. Like she was like she had committed herself to this. And so now she was 
kind of in denial and was going to say, hey, this is going to go great and he'll support me. Like it definitely yeah, in her performance, really I felt that. It was going to be super done down with everything that she had done there. <laughs> right. I think that they were trying to broadcast that she had detached from reality beyond her normally obtuse <laughs> inability <laughs> to read people. Right. Because she's not yeah. a great reader of people. She's used no, to things she's just going not. her way. She doesn't seem to be a great reader in general, but especially right. people. <laughs> right, right. And uh, so that was—I mean—that was interesting. Their whole their whole exchange. There was um, there was a shot that I didn't think was necessary, but was very deliberate. Of when he first walked into the room, and there was a shot of the fact that he was carrying both dragon claw or whatever the hell the beautiful white handled sword is, long and long claw, and then he also had a short sword or a dagger. In mm-hmm. on the other side, and I don't. Oh, I don't think I don't feel like we always see him with two. I, I'm usually uh, I'm used to him seeing. Yeah, I but, don't know. I, I don't know that I've really paid that much attention to it previously. But this was I like know a, it's really notable when Arya is because she's got that Valerian right. steel dagger that she's always carrying around now. But for John, I know that he has in the past, but yeah. he's certainly not somebody that generally fights with two weapons. So it, it right. did. Like striking without he's never had he's never shown Florentine style fighting or anything where he's parrying with a second blade and it was right. a shot that, that hovered on his midsection and had the two weapons so you know I, I, I appreciated that as, from a structural standpoint anyway um, okay so how did you feel about the uh, the fact that it was a an unseen stabbing and all that stuff it felt very um, to me anyway felt very rote but it was fine I liked that it happened yeah. without fanfare. Me too. And I kind of like liked that no, he didn't, yeah. like, pull Longclaw out and strike her down in a very, right. like, Star like Wars-y right. fashion or something. It was, a, it was a more intimate thing. It's kind of how I'd hoped that Jamie was going to kill Cersei. So, exactly. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was almost exactly what I expected from the Jamie and Cersei scene we didn't get. Mm-hmm. The... Yeah, you, you you get up close and you stab so that in they don't know what's happening until the very last second. Not right. not for the torturous reasons, but because you can barely you can't bear it's a mercy for them to. Yeah, you can't bear to have them aware of their doom and the betrayal any more a, a second longer than necessary. Yeah, yeah, it, it was interesting. Um, so I like the fact that um, when she drops and you could say, I mean. It, it, uh, he, Kit Harrington's not the best actor in the world, but I think he does a good job at John, and he 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 does a good job at conveying the guy that can't make good, make decisions and, and <laughs> Ned Stark's Ned Stark's his way into yeah yeah and Ned Stark's his way into uh, <laughs> circumstances that a smarter man would have shut up about. But I love yeah, the fact accurate. that he he did that later down, and he's just standing there, and then you hear Drogon screech a couple times and, and sort of rouse itself. Um, yeah. That whole thing of the dragon warming up and coming up there was fantastic because he was just was, he's just standing up there. And how great was it that the whole throne room was destroyed anyway? And it was just this, the chair against the sky in the first place. Yeah. And so he just like climbs around the wall. He's just like, hey, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> what's this shit? I'd like to point out that this was close to a scene that I predicted happening at this point. Yes. Here. <laughs> yes. Yes. So it was really great to see when Dro- Drogon shows up and starts uh, 
moving her with his muzzle or whatever. That was um, like everything about that scene was fantastic because yeah, I was pretty sure that he wasn't going to burn John, but I was okay if he did. <laughs> like, I just, <laughs> like everything about that scene, I was in the I was in the scene. I was like, this is fucking dope. The dragon's home, and it's like, what the fuck? And I was like, yeah. meets. It hasn't been uh, shocking choices, but they've made a number of interesting choices. They've paced themselves. It was character driven. It was very dramatic. It felt like the culmination of a, of the best of a lot of Game of Thrones. And then Drogon just burns the throne. Yeah, I liked that. Uh, you did. I did. Are you fucking kidding me? I liked it. <laughs> you didn't oh. like it? Chris. What? What exactly is the sentience of a dragon? Well, clearly it's got some sentience. I mean, it had a connection to Danny, and I think it senses how important that throne was to her. How? how? They've never established in any way Smart that the man. dragon understands the va- the metaphorical value of goods. I saw a tweet that I was going to... Uh, well, here it is. The tweet was, Drogon received the best character development in this finale, exercising judgment when experiencing blinding anger and grief, destroying the symbol of power and the very source of evil, and choosing to mourn in solitude, now brotherless and motherless. <laughs> I mean, I wanted the, I thought the, ch- the throne would be chopped up, and I definitely thought that Drogon was going to have something to say or breathe about the circumstances. But for, for Drogon to burn... Ramp the- for King Bran... <laughs> But to, <laughs> that's really the point. The golden just ramp, making oh a God. pedestal for him instead. That's oh. all. It's the iron it's ramp just, now. <laughs> we've, other than those shots of Drogon staring intelligently at John a few times, we've never seen any indication that the dragons understand enough about human communication and the things that the 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 higher meaning okay, of Okay, if you want to look at it that way then, then there's also a simple logic to it. He was staring at Danny, refused to light John up, so just shot next to him to show his anger, and that happened to be what was next to them. Okay. And so I thought that was the where So I was being really charitable at first and I was and I thought at the beginning of that sequence I was like, well that's what's happening. He's just bellowing and he's hitting everything in range. But no, he actually just blasts in one direction and melts the chair. And he and he takes a couple of breaths, too, and does it. If he had just basically... If John had just laid down and he just mowed everything and basically just did a scorched... You know, just a scorching radius of fire and the throne happened to melt, that's one thing. But to me, he just targeted the throne. I don't know. To me, it just felt like way too fan servicey and weird. It just felt so... This entire episode was fan servicey. Do you really think all of these yeah. people would have survived and ended up doing what they were doing, Tom? No. no Look at who's in charge of the coin in Kingsway. <laughs> it's a slight step up from Littlefinger, though. Well, anyway. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> it's not. Ron never once makes any indication that he's good with money at all. <laughs> He's good at bargaining. Anyone is the guy that gets his paycheck and goes out and spends it on PS4 games. It's Braun. (laughs) (laughs) That's certainly true. I will tell you, in that last scene, I was very disappointed that he didn't bring the crossbow to the small council. I just thought that would have been a nice touch. <laughs> like how game, like video game characters have just just have like their 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 prop, you know, like (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, anyway, so he burnt the throne. I thought there was a lot of other ways of destroying the throne, but there you go. That's fine. It was interesting that uh, Drogon picked her up. Well, definitely did that like that really close up uh, glare at John, mm-hmm. and then picked her up and then took off. It, it was really neat. I think it depends heavily on how intelligent you think dragons are. Because not intelligent enough to not be shot down by ships sailing in plain view. Well, they were around a corner. <laughs> <laughs> around a corner. <laughs> I just I think that there's definitely a a point there like if if you think dragons are intelligent, then it realized that maybe Danny had gone too far but also John was next in line for the throne kind of thing. I mean, there's well, so so I even extended my 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 I extended a thread on that and I was thinking about other uh uh beloved pets and creatures that we like so think about like dogs and whatever. Okay, so like if your dog is upset that you're spending too much that you ha- is upset at you, might go and attack a thing that you have that you love, right? Might mm-hmm. eat your shoe or might eat your, you know, mess with something that that it knew was important to you. Dogs will do that. Mm-hmm. You know that, obviously. But she'd never even seen the throne until the, the scene before. Like, Drogon had no right. frame of reference to know that the throne was important other than a word she said, which would mean that the dragon needed to know what the word throne meant. And that the throne was a symbol. Means. Well, that's true. <laughs> he clearly understands simple word commands. Yeah, but I'm just saying, there's no way that the dragon could have been taught what the throne was and that it was important and to melt it down to make a point. <laughs> Maybe they had flashcards. You don't know. (laughs) There's lots of scenes that they ignore. (laughs) That's true. You're right. Jump cut. (laughs) (laughs) It's Grey Worm or Masandi training Drogon with these giant flashcards that are like the size of poster boards. Iron Throne! (laughs) (laughs) Like the cue cards they use on, like, late night and stuff, right? Those really big... Yeah, I'm I'm 100% sold on this idea now. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, so then we have the... defeat me. (laughs) So we have it... So it goes dark, and then it comes back again, and some time has passed, and we find that... uh, that both Tyrion and Jon have been imprisoned, which... Mm -hmm. Okay, so, all right, and so then we have the council has been arranged, and it's sort of evoking when everybody came down to try to reason with Cersei. It's like a a parley that could be war, but instead they're having a parley. Although, it was strangely uh, represented in the sense that there was so many people at the in, in wicker chairs or whatever, that, you know, <laughs> there a lot of people there that shouldn't have had a, an opinion about what was going on, but anyway, they were there. Well, I mean, it was pretty representative of the kingdoms, though, because we had the Reach with Aaron. We had a few extras, yeah, who had gotten kind of sexy. Yeah, that's everyone's talking about that. He he got long long bottomed out, right? His glow up, his glow up. Uh, I love that. I love okay, but I I love that he had the princely, the sort of classic princely outfit, right, with the poofy shoulders and the like. Yeah, it was it was very iconic. Uh, the costuming in this episode was just amazing across the board. It was actually it was excellent as it always has. It has been for like a decade yeah. now. Yeah, just, she's been amazing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so th- there's rumors that it was uh, the Reed Mira Reed's father was who mm. was sitting next to right 
uh, unnamed. Right, right. Yeah, the Tully guy. Which, which in the books would be more would have a different import than in the shows, right? Because isn't he? Oh yeah. Well, well I mean, wasn't he there? At, yes, he hasn't really made an appearance in the books, but he he was the one that was with Ned when they right, rescued right. John. But I see. as of the books right now, there's just rumors that he may be more important, which is I see. Yeah, it, he doesn't really have anything currently either. So, eh. but it does beg the question: Why, um, if he has been still, if he's still alive this whole time, why he hasn't been a part of events? I agree given how important yeah. it was, yeah, yeah. Um, like to me, I I would rather it not be Reed and it be like right. just pretty much anybody else, frankly, because there's a lot of kingdoms that aren't represented there. I think. Yeah. The the, prince, uh, the the unnamed unnamed prince of Dorne who got one line. Yeah, the there. previously unknown Dornishman. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, Yara was there representing the islands, which I liked. Pa, um, Gendry was there representing his new house. Literally, yeah, he was. Yeah, what? Can't remember where it is. He's in charge yeah. of now. High Garden. No, that's Brom. Oh, that's Brom. Okay. Gendry got. Um, not the river lands was it well anyway it doesn't matter he some land yeah it and doesn't then, matter <laughs> yeah we, we had tar, we had a tarley in sam we had a tully yeah. in uncle tully who <laughs> really which actually was king. which was a really amazing scene it was <laughs> I great. really like that <laughs> um uh and then we had all, an overabundance of starks Yes, there are many, many Starks, <laughs> and then a few, and a few other northern uh, nobles, evidenced by their clothing, but not, um, but not named. Yeah, and, uh, and then what's his name, who always aligned himself with Sansa, the 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 stuffy one that looks like he he came off of like a a community theater uh, uh, rendition of of like. Uh, a, Rom- a Roman play, right? He's got the like little choppy little white cut, and it looks like he's are you talking like, about Roman armor? Uh, he's just the guy that represent. He was he's technically from the the airy. He's just yeah yeah that yeah. is taking care of the little handicapped kid, <laughs> right? John Aaron or um, Robin Aaron? Robin, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um. All right, so we have this. We have this little parlay, so, and they're having this negotiation. So, before we get into that too far, you were okay with Grey Worm just putting Jon Snow in jail without showing any of that? Because I was not. No, no. But <laughs> it made absolutely to... no sense that they didn't just kill Jon right on the spot. There, I agree. And there was a lot of unanswered questions about the sequence of things because they've established that these guys. Would cut right to the chase, so to speak. <laughs> mm-hmm. There was no reason for either of them to have been imprisoned. It did. Be, it now, did make me think a immediately. Decent though, scene of Davos or somebody like that convincing them. Otherwise, I could have right. seen that. I would have bought right. that. But right, right, right yeah, right. yeah. There was just, yeah. <laughs> or like, just the arrival of everybody at this at that moment or something. I don't know. It just yeah right. It was a huge gap, and I and I noticed it right then and there, and I felt frustrations. I felt some frustrations, but also, um, I mean, I, no. To be fair, at the time I was okay with it, but it was as it was playing out that I started to think. Like at the time, I thought, oh, they're doing that, the art house thing. 
they're making they're doing a jump they're going to drop you into a scene and make you figure out what's happening but it yeah. wasn't it didn't make sense because of everything that we had established about them before though they'd also established that Grey Worm was pretty reserved and uh, reasonable of a guy until they cut his girlfriend's head off so I you know yeah yeah exactly but, until but two episodes previously what it also said though was that John pulled another Ned Starkin uh, blunt idiotic confession right <laughs> because other than the blood stain what the fuck <laughs> right? yeah, I'm took kind off. of surprised he People didn't go up. that way actually be like well until she comes back you know she she has a habit of doing this just taking off with Drogon you know <laughs> well I was really surprised I was convinced we were going to have Grey Worm and people showing up and saying, what happened? Where did she go? What's happened? Was she injured? And him saying, I killed her. You know, like, I just thought we yeah. were going to get a, a, yeah. an idiotic confession from him because that's the way things go with John. But um, anyway. So, yeah. What, what I did find a little interesting in the scene was that um, Tyrion went from being a prisoner to a negotiator and then suddenly became... <laughs> in yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that that was just purely because... He was the representative of the of the Lannisters, I guess. I don't know. I really have no idea what their logic was there, except that he's the only one capable of making really good speeches. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, it. But in just in terms of the the in terms of the the plot, though, he was in, he was one of the prisoners, right? right? And suddenly he was running the meeting. <laughs> like, yeah. like, well, that's, I mean, that's it was what another a, that's great Tyrion moment. Do. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so then we had this series of befuddling negotiations that made no sense whatsoever. This whole idea Which, that, well, I mean, setting aside the kinging, okay, mm-hmm. king making, I guess, just dealing with the unsullied issue. Mm-hmm. We demand justice. We want satisfaction. We're going to kill them all. Well, here, hold on. Why don't you have a Why don't you have a land and become one of our kingdoms? Nope. Okay. Well, let's find a compromise. And the compromise is um, we're going to let John go north. And uh, my coworker brought up an interesting point I didn't think of at the time, which was that the idea that John's uh, the setting aside the fact that the Night's Watch shouldn't exist anymore, the the concept well, of I their think there's oath, still a reason for it, but yeah. Well, the the concept of their speech and all the things that they forsake in order to do what they're doing puts them in a position that's very similar to the condition the Unsullied were forced into. Mm-hmm. And so she thought that there was a parody to the fact that the Grey Worm is saying, well, okay, so he's going to have no lands, no sire, no children. He's going to have no connections. He's going to be uh, isolated from his homeland. This sounds very Unsullied. Fair is fair. He can go. Even though it's a it's a plot it's a plot structure to put him where he needs to be, you know. Right. But I just didn't I didn't buy at all that that I didn't understand the logic in the story that Grey Worm was like, Yep, that checks out. <laughs> like Well and yeah, like the fact that Grey Worm has had no experience and like no cultural significance to what the Night Watch is and any of that, like he just went along with all this shit way too easy for what he is and what he was. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, and he was in a position... He was holding all the cards, really. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, he was uh, the jailkeeper. He was... Yeah, like, all of that... 
should have been taken care of by him before any of these lords and ladies showed up for their little conference. Like he's, yeah, yeah he's supposedly is loyal and follows the rules to a fault, but yeah, not when you, they've killed his queen and he's murdering people in the streets without provocation. Like it just, yeah. it doesn't mash for what they've shown him be in the last few episodes at all. He should have shown up to the parley with a bag of bones, right? Yeah, <laughs> really. Dro- yeah, just here's dropped Tyrion, it like, and... like the white was dropped the last time, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and so yeah, I was, I was, it, yeah. I was intrigued by the sequence of events that led to him holding out against these people. So I was imagining, so prior to, uh, prior to her being uh, sternum slashed and then taken away by the dragon. He considered her the queen of everything. Everyone in her entire party considered her the queen of Westeros. Right. And the Unsullied and the, well, the Dothraki followed her because she was their their clan leader. The Unsullied right. followed her, supposedly um, supporting her claim to the throne. Supposedly, and they were yes. following her as their queen. Right. All these other allies in the war in the north and then the war down in King's Landing were supposedly allies of her taking her rightful place on the throne. So mm-hmm. in the sequence where John's killed her and now all these people have shown up, the implication is, okay, alliance is over and we're... So from his perspective, from his perspective, they're all traitors and treasonous, right? Because they're, right. they're defying, even though the queen is dead. But by the same token... So 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 then it forks into did John tell anybody that he was a Targaryen after he was captured and certainly the Sansa and everybody else who knows would have shown up and said hey that's John has the rightful claim to the throne blah 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 which was never once even touched in this scene right no it was but, not but you would expect that they would show up and say he has a right to the throne and then the unsullied say well fuck him you know but the implication right. so the question is okay so if he didn't say he was an heir to the throne and then they brought and they brought it up or they didn't bring it up then the unsullied would ignore it but if he did say that he was an heir to the throne and they ignored it either direction the unsullied should have been falling in line well certainly the dothraki should have fallen in line behind john cuz their entire uh, cultural yeah theoretically anyway yeah yeah their entire mechanism is follow the one that kills the last one right right Follow the Alpha. And the Unsullied supposedly were aligned with the throne. And it happened to be Danny's right to take the throne from the Westerosi. The exiled Targaryen taking the throne back. So they should have allied themselves immediately with John, And it should have been a conflict of, you know, John's going to be the one on the throne. And other people saying, no, that he shouldn't be on the throne. And him saying, I don't want to be on the throne. The Unsullied saying, you have to be on the throne. I don't want to be on the throne. So on. So anyway, right. none of that happened. We didn't even touch on it. <laughs> no, it didn't. And in a come way, yeah. And in a way, I was trying. I mean, like I was trying to figure out: was that just the weird choice that they that they made in the script, or was it like I, like I don't I don't understand if that was like the degree to which that was intentional and and whether that's important. But it the felt- complete absence of anybody guiding Grey Worm and the Unsullied at all was a real misstep as far as this is concerned because it doesn't make any sense narratively at all. 
Like they're they've always needed somebody to control them, and when they haven't, they're killing people in the streets. So it's just really weird to me that they didn't at least have like Davos or somebody like that. If Jorah was still alive, or if they had to kill right. Barristan, somebody like right. that that they've been with the whole time and would have trusted their judgment would have made sense. But they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> right. And Grey Worm is not a leader. He's a military leader. Right. But he's not a he's not a, yeah, right. He's not a, yeah. He's not management. He's not at all management. He, <laughs> yeah, she exactly. says you're my master She said you're my master of war. She said, you're my master of war. And then he took three steps back. So I don't even know what to tell you. (laughs) But the fact that they pushed his lineage as a thing to sow dissent under Daenerys and rally people against her. And this was this whole plot device that he was trying to keep it a secret. And and Sansa, Sansa playing the game spread it and everything else. The fact that it was ignored now was a gaping hole in the in the internal logic of the story and that's what bothered me if Sansa hadn't learned if it had been a secret that only say Bran and John knew or something and Sam but you know whatever. what I would have liked that would have been easier to believe that like what really clicked for me just now what I would have liked to have seen would I would have liked to have seen Grey Worm taking Tyrion's counsel because yeah. He's somebody that he can trust. He's somebody he's worked with and knows that his judgment is normally sound. Even as a prisoner, a good military commander would talk to the prisoner about other things. And a scene of Grey Worm getting advice from Tyrion about what to do about John and everything else now that Danny's gone, whether he's retired his hand of the king or not, that would have sold that for me. You're absolutely right, and that's a really good idea. He could have had that conference with with Tyrion, even as Tyrion is also chained up, because yeah. that was one of the Queen's edicts was that he was going to be killed too, right? So yeah. Grey Worm coming and talking to him, and him saying, "Now, now, now, everyone's turning, everyone's going to turn against you now, and you don't want to be here. You want to be, you know, on the Isle of Noth, right? You don't want to be yeah. in these lands. You were here only because your Queen wanted you here." It's the only way you're going to get away is to make a graceful exit, you know, or some sort of, like, saving face exit. That's right. That's the missing link we didn't get. Yeah, that would have been exactly what we needed for that scene to have – is for all of this logic to have explained itself. What we needed was some meaty scenes with Tyrion. In this episode. Yeah. Oh, wait. More speeches from Tyrion. Uh, okay, and so they come to this conclusion that John's going to be, uh, and in fact, the other thing about the wall that just drove me nuts was um, they wanted to tie, they wanted to tie it to John's first. There's definitely reasons why he, he was being sent to the wall. This idea that he was being excommunicated the way other people who were otherwise sentenced to death might have been and this whole thing of this worker convict work program that they had going you know there's a lot of reasons in the structure of the story cyclically that he would be sent to the wall as a thing except for the minor detail that no the the night's watch doesn't need to exist certainly the wall i as see i don't believe that though no. i don't agree personally with that i think that the walls uh, the night's watch still has a purpose there because, because of wildlings being fickle 
pretty well. Exactly. Wildlings are fickle. We they have no idea who the Night King was or where he came from or why, but they're still like that's unexplored territory full of cannibals and hairy bastards. So, like to me, I feel like they should still have some sort of contingent up there. Whether it should be murderers and rapists, that's up right. for debate. <laughs> and we're going to ignore the hole on the other side of the wall over on yeah, the east. Yeah. <laughs> well, I thought, I mean, st- skipping forward to that for a minute, I thought that the whole thing was that they were going to have the gates permanently open. And maybe they are. But I thought they were going to make a point of him. I thought we were going to get a scene where he was saying, okay, our, we have a new role as the Night's Watch. We are going to protect, we're going to keep our eyes out and protect the lands of the kingdoms and the free men together. And this is going to be a gateway rather than a barricade and I thought there was going yeah, to be this whole thing about how light on expository dialogue for that entire section there explaining what they were doing walking north yeah. through the gate outside of just mirroring the first episode there was like no indication as to exactly what was going on there <laughs> or why or why Tormund and all these women and children stuck around at the wall instead of going back home the way they said they were going to. Yeah, yeah. It was all for effect, and I and I was fine with it. I was fine with it. But in the scene back in the council, mm-hmm. the idea that um, I could see them saying, John will be excommunicated. He's going to have to leave Westeros entirely, and he's going to have nothing. He's, he can never see his family again. It's as, he's will be as good as dead. That was one thing, but to be com- specifically banished to the wall was something that I didn't understand that the Unsullied would even grasp as important, let alone... Yeah, did yeah, the Grey Worm has no reason to even have any idea what the wall is at all or care about it. Right, right. It was just... It, 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 um, it was a puzzle piece that fit for them when they were finishing up the way they wanted to get him up there. And the thing is, they could have done whatever and he still could have gone up there and gone into the north where he wanted to be. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this, this I mean, was all about him. Yeah. I think it was a fitting choice from yes. the Lord's standpoint, from the council standpoint. But from, once again, with Grey Worm having any say in the matter at all, it didn't make any sense for him. It was, you know, it was all about John when he went to the Night's Watch in the first season. What he wanted to be was a ranger like Benjen, right? And then mm. Marmont made him a steward, and that was the end of that, right? So this was him yeah. finally getting to execute his his own choice and his own destiny for the first time since going back to the first season, right? And right. He, 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 yeah, he went wild, right? And he went north, and, and, uh, um, I, you know, I don't know if he's going to be the king of the free men or whether he's just a ranger for the wall and is going to stick with his duty or not. I don't know. Either way, it's work. It works fine for me if he's a new Rance Mater or not. I don't know. Mance Raider, but good job. Mance, what did I say? Rance Mater? Didn't sound Rance right. Rance Mater. Kirkland Singer. Oh, that Rance Mater. Yeah, Rance Mater seems like it's like a... Sounds yeah, like right. a rancid tomato of some sort. Yeah, it's the that's one Ryan's right there. <laughs> that's right. So then we have this whole kingmaker scene. How do you feel about that? Eh, I I think that that is the one part that is genuinely George R. R. Martin. It yeah. fits it perfectly. Uh, I think that of everything that's happened in the last three seasons. Bran becoming the king 
is going to be what happens, but I think he'll be a lot more reluctant in the books. And I don't think he'll have that silly, that's why I was, why do you think I was here kind of thing. That line was asinine because yeah. he's never made an active role towards being the king. Yeah. Um, I do like the idea of Bran the Broken, who's the memory of Westeros being elected king. I think that's solid, but yeah. I don't think it was communicated very well. Yeah, and I think that there's a um, there's a thematic point to it that is only more evident when you see the last the last King's Landing scene with the small council, but there was definitely something interesting about his choice in that. Not that he was like, I don't want to be king. And so you put that guy in charge. It was more, um, the speech that Tyrion made, it was fraught with error that the, the Twitter loved, but the fact that he made the point that Bran should be king because he had the biggest, most outlandish story and he would evoke the most mystique to the average person (laughs) and make them feel invested in having a monarch when all the royalty have done is decimate them for so long. And so he's got a good story. He's got that comeback kid uh, vibe. Um, And so, so that's the, that's the selling point. Meanwhile, you have Arya sitting there who can (laughs) shape shift and kill the night King. It's it's not like she's really feeling like she's left out. She didn't want to be King. No, no, (laughs) but it was just kind of funny. That's why, you know, that it was a, it was a Twitter issue, a Twitter trigger. But, Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, I, what I liked about the choice after the fact was we got what I wanted, which was Tyrion as king, but we got it in a way that made sense in the world that was left by that destruction, which was you have a, yeah. you have a proxy, you have a figurehead king who is the one that everyone is mystified by and has the history of Westeros in his brain and seems very larger than life. And then the real work's being done by a very, very efficient project manager. And I love that. <laughs> I love that the actual that they the last thing we see in in King's Landing was the small council led by the hand getting to the task of getting things done. Yeah. And Bran and Bran was doing the full on step in and step out, Tony Stark type, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm off to the vacation chalet, <laughs> you know. Yeah, go look right. for dragons. Like that read very well, that read good that read well to me. Like it felt right. Um, me too. I like that he chose uh, and and that same moment. I like that he chose Tyrion to be his hand, even as Tyrion was like, "I can't." You know what are you talking about? That part I liked. Yeah, yeah, I did. The too. Bran and Tyrion part. Good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know. You, th- <laughs> you know, my biggest problem with that whole thing, honestly, was the. Uh, just the 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 convenience that everybody just like showed up and slotted into their roles so perfectly there, but well, yeah, it works, I guess. But it, so the thing I, is I that like that, that count- two little chains he had. <laughs> <laughs> what? What'd you say? He, he had the maester's chain, but all he had was like two little rings on it. I thought that was a nice little touch. Ah, I see. Like he's just getting started. Training to be a maester, but hadn't gotten anything yet. Right, right, right. Well, so it it was another one of these scenes that felt, it felt like it worked at the time. And then when I thought about it later, I said, wait, this doesn't make sense. But, you know, I mean, a lot of our entertainment is like that, right? Yeah, yeah, especially Um, lately. But 
Yeah, but I mean, I, at the time when I was watching it, I was, you know, I was kind of okay with the way that they reluctantly just kind of said, actually, yeah, it makes sense. Sure, I'll, I'll go for it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and voted him in. And they made this little oligarchy or whatever. But the thing that started to fall apart for me after the fact, and I really liked it. You know, thematically, I really liked it. I love that Sansa took her stand, and I love that um, it was supported. And, you know, and that the Tyrion was both... Um, rewarded and punished, you know, like <laughs> yeah. roped back in, and um, it was a really interesting closing structure for him. But the part that didn't hold up for me was the next day thinking about it, going, "Wait a minute, why the fuck was Sansa declaring uh, independence for the North while the Iron Islands, Yara and the Iron Islands, is sitting there, and the Dornish is sitting there, and all these other, you know." Those well, two particularly. Think, uh, but they've always been pretty happy with being who they are. Like, they've never wanted to be... Into, well, the Iron Island, yes, but maybe not Yara, per se, I guess I should say. But the Dornish were like, independent forever, right? They were they were independent no, much longer than they were. I, I thought that they were independent a, long, a lot until they started intermarrying with the... Uh, was it the Lannisters? Who was it that they were intermarrying with? Anyway, I doesn't matter. No idea. All right. <laughs> oh no, it was the um, the Tyrells, right? Not Tyrells, uh, Martells. Is that right? That the I'm Dornish not... were marrying in with the Martells. Anyway, the point is, it was odd to me that everybody stood there saying "sure," and Sansa was like, "I want a break." Because when we talked before last time, I was thinking it's going to be the breakup of all the kingdoms, right? And mm-hmm. Why do you have to have them unified? Who gives a shit? Um, right. Let's have nations now. Um, so it, it, it felt odd to me that once she declared independence, like th- when she did that, the next thing I thought was going to happen was that Bran was going to say, um, you know, the seven kingdoms are no more. All the kingdoms are independent. And, you know, we're going to form an alliance and not. You know. Well, but the thing is, is like the whole theme of this entire series is that the North has been independent and the King and the North and that they only united under Robert and all of that. And I think that like, I think that was just the only way it could have ever rolled out. I also don't think that Sansa gets along well enough with anybody else that it would have ever worked for her. (laughs) Sure. Like, like I'm just saying it just felt and bent the knee and then gone back to all of the Northmen and been like, you know, guys, they made some interesting points. <laughs> well, yeah, but what I'm saying is that the, this is all following the pseudo-feudal um, uh, inspiration. And the whole thing is based, predicated on the idea that there's got to be a big daddy who's going to collect all the taxes and then distribute everything back and is going to make decisions for all of the nobility and, you know, and... It, you know this whole this whole economic system is going to work out. It's all economics, right? Well, in this world, we haven't seen a, um, evidence of a lot of that economic flow. <laughs> we really just seen dominance. So, in that yeah. scene, yeah. I can see everybody because they were laughing at well, it's, you know, the people can't make a choice. Trump, Trump, twenty sixteen, uh, you know, <laughs> political jabs. So mm-hmm. I thought. I thought the idea that the nobles would all sit there and say, well, we got to have someone on the throne. I mean, we got to have that because that's what our structure is and how we can we not have that. 
and that for her to say, no, we're going to go back to being independent, at that moment I thought, well, here's where everyone's going to say, well, why the fuck are we actually unifying under a king? Why is this even happening? Um, that felt like a natural point for that breaking apart. But instead, because mm-hmm. they wanted the the big moment of Bran being, you know, the new king, they just held it all together. And I just, it, I don't know. I think I see what you're saying there, but I also think that from a little person standpoint, the North is the only people that would be okay with being independent because everybody else in the entire kingdom, all the innocents that didn't get barbecued are so locked into needing that king. They need that both fall person and person to look up to and obey. I, well, I have to say, that, yeah, you can go d- democratic overnight or anything like that. Well, that's true. That's true. And it also assumes that all of these kingdoms were self-sufficient enough on their own to be able to survive. And Which that's part Aris of the thing. Certainly wasn't because literally the only thing they have is raiding and fish. <laughs> well, and the thing is, I think this is where the show versus the books really fall apart because we don't, as show viewers, we don't understand the history of Westeros the way book readers do. We don't understand what what the reality of things was before Baratheon's rebellion. And we don't understand the the relationships they've implied, but we don't really understand the economic relationships between the houses um, until the show starts. And we're, the show is starting in a framework that was atypical for that world, right? Yeah, and so, yeah. Like, throughout the course of the seasons, I was trying to understand why you had all these houses that were allying with the North, and I was trying to figure out, like, were they sub-North houses, or were they parts of the Unified Kingdom that were breaking away? Was this was this a secession, or was this just everyone in the North is, is one uh, solar system, and everyone in the South is another solar system? I just couldn't figure out exactly where all those long-term allegiances were. And so that, I guess, plays into the, the way I wasn't sure how they were supposed to act here. Yeah, that makes sense. But what do I know? I'm just looking for the information in the missing uh, season's worth of content they didn't show us. Yeah, really, exactly. <laughs> in season or three. <laughs> well, co- costumes were amazing. Sansa looked super dope. Oh, um, my God. Yeah, her queen outfit was amazing. Well, and they've shown <laughs> multiple times they've shown that she sews her own clothes. And mm-hmm. um, there was imagery there was symbolic imagery in her clothing that just blew me away she had yeah. the, the weirwood leaves in and she was wearing a rough gray material yeah, that totally so was, blue color yeah that was totally yeah. the color of her mom's house yeah That's like right. that all was just amazing and the texture is wolf right and then you have the tree yeah. leaves it was just like, as far as good design goes, I was just like knocking myself out with it. I was like, wow, that was fucking great. Yeah. And I, I liked that, by contrast, uh, Arya's outfit was super boring. It was just the same thing she pretty much always wear. And it just looked, it was perfect. <laughs> yeah. I, I was struck by, initially I was struck by, what's this? <laughs> she said she wanted to go explore to the West. And then uh, I read online that she made that reference seasons earlier that she if she had her choice she'd like to go west i think it was yeah yeah she was, was talking after she had a train after she was stabbed yeah. by the the faceless right. girl right 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 i i am and disappointed be- that she didn't use her her skin changing thing right once 
since she killed Frey. It makes no sense to me that they did all that and then she never used it. It was like a total red herring. Because yeah, it totally after, was. After, after the way her plotline had resolved prior to the start of that season, I thought she had lost the ability to to do her face changing. Like, she didn't have access to the, you know, whatever it is. The, 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 col- the columns of power, you know. <laughs> But then in the next, but then in that opening season when she was doing it to Frey, you know, right. she still had it, and so I, I don't know, I don't know. But you're right; it would, it did seem like it was just begging for for one last use, which was a lot of the theories for this episode were going to be about how it was going to be this whole like dun dun dun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I stabbed yeah. you, but I'm Davos, but I'm not Davos. I'm Sansa, but I'm not Sansa. Arya. <laughs> Turns out I'm really yeah. Drogon. <laughs> 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 But so, of course, you know, I'm sure everyone who is watching this, who watches other content on HBO, the first thing you think of is like, well, well, clearly Westworld is West of Westeros, right? But, uh, <laughs> oh, my God. That would be amazing if they just made it a park. She gets but can you imagine? The edge and she runs into that guy with the four wheeler that I'm telling you. motor functions. Oh, I would be totally it's, sold on that. It would piss so many people off. It would have pissed so many people off. I wanted it as soon as I thought of that. I wanted it so bad. I wanted her to go. Oh, that would have been amazing. Even if it was just them. as a promo for Westworld, right? At the see end the, of the see credits. A Mesa. Yeah. Oh, that would have been amazing, dude. Oh my god! You just <laughs> see the Mesa in the distance, and you're like, oh, you cannot believe they're doing it. Yeah, that would be so good. I would have like people would have shit themselves. <laughs> Like the last, the last words of dialogue in the entire Game of Thrones series, just to cause George R. R. Martin to spit into his coffee or whatever it is he's drinking, his herbal tea, is to freeze all motor functions. Right? Oh, that would be so good! Man. Oh, I'm I'm so bummed that they didn't do that as a fucking ad for the third season. Now, that would have been amazing. It would have been so amazing because freeze having the double connotation. Right, yeah. the whole the whole long night and everything else, and then ah, oh. but they didn't ask us, did they? They really did. Uh, no, even had they asked us, I would not have thought of it until this literally this podcast right now. So, even had they come to us as they should have, we wouldn't have come up with this amazing idea. <laughs> You're right. You're right. It was a. It was a. It was a. It was a. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Right. It was the result of the moment. The the oh, man. the perfect co- the perfect synthesis of the right personalities in the room at the right time, much like the small council scene at the end of the episode. <laughs> so how how did you feel about? So I loved again. It's back to to uh, Peter Dinklage. I love this thing where he sits in the chair and he looks in the room and he thinks about all the times he was there before, and then he goes and he straightens all the chairs. And then yeah. he sits back down, and he's ready to start fresh. And then they all come and just push the chairs out of the way and sit down wherever they want. And he's like, no, no, no. That but, uh, teacher on the first day of school thing. It yeah, was, it was totally. Great. I loved that. <laughs> so it was interesting to see this this group as the as the small council. Like you said, Braun at Braun as uh, Master of Coin was just an excuse to have him there. Absolutely. Um. Uh, Sam as the, I don't the know what it, whatever it is. The Maester was cool. Yeah, I think that was um, that was great. It made sense. It's great to see 
uh, Brienne as the master of master commander or whatever it is. Master yeah, the, the scene with her filling out the book was really nice. I liked it. Well, that was a that was a very interesting scene, and even as she was doing it, I was imagining the memes, and they were pretty quick, right? Yeah, they I, were I, super quick. I was expecting the references to like Wikipedia entry changes, you know, but. Uh, <laughs> All, all of the memes talking about how she would write in all this, like, you know, bur- burned X stuff, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> that, that kind of cracked me up. But anyway, it was really, it was very touching. And I love the fact that because the way she wrote it, well, there's two things I loved. I love that um, content wise, she chose to write his story with grace because she chose to remember the things about him that were redeeming as opposed to yeah. things about him that were foul. Um, yeah that was in character for her. And I thought that was great. The other it thing was, I really it liked was absolutely was, 100% something she would do. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing I really liked and they had never really established when she was holding the book, I was wondering, does she know how to read? Because I don't remember them uh. establishing going back the degree to which she had any of that training. Right. Hmm. Cause most people can't yeah. read there. Right. But anyway, right. what I loved was when she finished the story in the book, that it was different, it was significantly different handwriting and it was bigger and it was just less um, practiced and less uh, mm-hmm. confident. Like it just felt yeah, I really like that too. Yeah. It just, it just felt good. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. So the small council, um, roguish and a little bit of whimsy and brothel jokes and whatever else. And, and then also there was that great reference to how the, uh, the, um, the, headmaster or whatever had finished the book and there was the callback to the previous episode when Broadbent was the headmaster and he said that he had the name of the book and it was 5,000 <laughs> letters <laughs> <Yeah>. long <laughs> this stuffy was boring like, thing yeah he's like you should change the name or whatever and so of course the gimme is the name of the series whatever else right. the, thing, the things that I thought what I wanted to ask you about is why was it that uh, that um, the headmaster excluded Tyrion from the book. Was there a, was there a history I think that, there was that I'm just not remembering? Oh, okay. I think that was just purely a joke about how he didn't get any credit for the Blackwater and all of that stuff. Ah, okay. I think that was purely just a joke about that aspect of it. I see. Okay. Well, I liked it. I thought it was a great way of um, settling into, you know, the settling into the things I love best in Game of Thrones, which is matters of logistics. <laughs> <laughs> that is how you roll <laughs> F- funding reconstruction you know yeah exactly <laughs> all right so i have a few uh, a few notes here one is that we we landed at the end of the series on a king who doesn't want it and has no heirs sounds real familiar doesn't it mm-hmm. this way the series started not great um another uh item here is uh uh I thought it, and then I was not alone because people were doing uh, photoshops almost immediately. But uh, the, the, one of the main themes of Game of Thrones is the importance of breastfeeding, <laughs> because we have Heidi Tormund so. and and Robin Aaron both in the same episode, uh, all grown up. I guess that all depends on how you look at things. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I really didn't. I wasn't feeling the grass growing in the snow at the end. Um, they were I think using totally it as unnecessary. The, yeah, it was a heavy-handed metaphor for hope and change and all the springy pagan stuff, which is fine. Except if 
the winter was ending early because the Night King was dead, they should have said something because it was just... We actually had more winter than... And then we had less winter. Yeah, and it bothers me too because we're talking about like a really interesting mechanic from in terms of like how the world works in Westeros. Like the whole long winter thing is very interesting to me. And I like the idea that the winters are still long and they're still going to have to struggle with that kind of thing. It's not a sunny right off into the sunset. I really liked the idea that they were dealing with all this. There was all this death and destruction and they were still going to have to deal with winter afterwards. Oh, no, never mind. It's fine. (laughs) It's springtime. Yeah. It's springtime. Um, I, uh, I thought it was interesting that, I mean, it wasn't a deliberate pairing, it wasn't used thematically in any way. It wasn't. It wasn't a. It wasn't a cool device that they could have used visually. But I found it very interesting that there was a lot of emphasis on um, Tyrion's relationship with Jaime, and and mm. in the beginning of this episode, and in the fundamental point at which Tyrion's life was irrevocably changed, we have the references to hands. Right? You have the golden yeah. hand of of Jamie and the rubble and then him throwing his hand uh, sigil down on the thing. It was totally unrelated. It just looked cool to me at the time. Yeah, now that said, that. his, his moment when he's digging around and he sees the hand only, I was like, Oh no, all those rumors that Jamie was going to be alive in the last episode because he didn't have the farewell messages that everybody else had at the end of last episode, right on Twitter. And everyone's like, Oh, it's cause he's still alive and all this when I saw that hand, I was like, they're not doing that right. They're not going to have the hand there and he's gone. Oh, that would be but, awful. Uh, yeah, I, but I, I was I, really I satisfied. <laughs> I was super satisfied that we had a couple of buried Lannisters to look at. I mean, it was just perfect. And his response was yeah. perfect, too. Yeah, I thought so, The too. emotions I were really, serious. It was emotional. I thought it was really real. I Peter Dinklage is such a fucking amazing actor. It's just he really is, away. and it's really depressing to me that we're not going to get to see him once a week for a long time doing really interesting things. I know this the sibling who was her father's daughter, who made his life so terrible, and then the sibling who kept him alive, both together yeah. in the rubble. It was just really effective scene, and I loved it. Yeah, I agree completely. All right. Well, did you um did you have a red tentacle that you want to share? Uh, oh man. Um, I guess John finally fucking interacting with Ghost. We'll give him that. I I feel like that was something very hastily inserted, but <laughs> 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 it, the the fact that it is literally him tormenting ghosts rollicking beyond the wall. Like I said, it was going to, I'm okay with it ending that way. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That was a good prediction. Um, it's the only one I was right on, but (laughs) yes. (laughs) So my red tentacle is this incredible sequence when it's been snowing and John is walking his way up to the red keep and he's looking around at all of the devastation. He sees the snow on, on all the rubble and he steps forward and then it shifts, and it's Drogon sleeping. 
and he yeah. lifts up and all the snow comes off and he's this massive shape and you have that really great shot where he reaches all the way out with his neck I love that about their design of their dragons it's all neck right so it's all the yeah, way out like it's cool texture along that rail looks so good then all right up to his face like right up to his face sniffs him and then goes back to sleep again. Like that whole sequence yeah, that, was just like that long shot was really great too, where it like oh. shows how massive he is. And just the idea, just something about the idea that he was forgotten for a moment, like where he was and what he was doing. And he was actually buried in, in plain sight to protect his queen was just so yeah. incredible. Uh, I just loved it. Yeah. I love that best scene in the whole thing. All right. What about a black octopus? Did you pick one? Uh, it's, uh, man, it's gotta be just the whole way they handled the time jump and Grey Worm's handling of the whole person killing his queen thing. (laughs) Grey Worm taking prisoners. Yeah. Um, well for me, and it's a point of division between us and I'm right and you're wrong. And that is the, uh, the throne burning. It's just my big black octopus. You mean the ramp? This is so bad. Come on, man. Yes, the ramp. The <laughs> ramp making. That King's Landing. Poor Pod's got his fucking work cut out for him, man. Tugging I, that heavy wood <laughs> wheelchair and Bran, who's like seven feet tall, around a, a, a castle made almost exclusively of stairs and rubble. That is a nightmare. <laughs> Well, I felt it was fine. I thought I did not have the negative reaction that everybody on the internet or half the internet seemed to have. Yeah, it's no. it, it 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 had a lot of uh, gaps and there were some mistakes in there that could have been easily rectified with a couple of scenes, as we've shown. But uh, you know, overall, just in terms of the way it felt, I mm-hmm. felt it felt like a conclusion I could live with, as far as the way the season ended. And there's so many shows where it's so good for so long and then it has a problem and then at the end you're like, well, that's... I mean, think about... It's not really a fair comparison, but think about how Battlestar Galactica ended. And you're just like, no, that was not earned. (laughs) What you just did was not... Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just like... I didn't feel like it flamed out the way... People are reaching out like the last two seasons were one extended flame out and this last episode was the icing on the cake of... of, I don't know, a flame cake. Um, I didn't feel that way. I, I felt like it was... It was an acceptable end to the show. Yeah, yeah, I agree completely. If for and I enjoyed what, the yeah. what they had built. I think right. ended with with plenty of fan service, but it ended the way the only way they could have done it, frankly. <laughs> and I do like when shows bookend. I like when elements of the beginning of the show are represented in the end of the show, and they did a good job of that. Um, I also liked, similar to how, I mean, a lot of people complained, but similar to how they killed the Night King before the show was ended, I appreciated the fact that Daenerys' being taken out wasn't the end of the series with a short epilogue. It was rather the beginning of the last episode, and then we had a lot of epilogue. Like, to me, that was... I appreciated that. I appreciated that he killed her, and that was done. And it was done without drama. Well, it was drama, but you know what I mean. Without action drama. In the end, she's just a human. She got stabbed. She's dead. And it happened at the beginning. I like that. Um, yeah. And I think I think a lot of people couldn't quite handle that after all that setup. That was the way it was going to go. But to me, that was very... It was very Shakespearean in a way. So, I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. 
So people are acting like this is the end of Game of Thrones, everything at all, ever. Uh, and it's not true. Even if uh, he never writes his end to the series, they're well at, w- they're well at work on their prequel, as well as any other projects that may or may not be greenlit. So we're definitely going to see more Westerosi stories. I am very interested in the prequel much more than I was when they first announced all of those spinoffs. Yeah. I think um, I'm in, I'm excited by the fact that the the change in production and the type of creators that are at work and the people they are hiring, it sounds a lot more uh, diverse and riskier. And so I'm excited. I'm hoping it's going to be a different tone to the show. Even though I liked, for the March part, I really pretty much liked all of Game of Thrones. I didn't care. wasn't criticizing it overly. It was, we were just picking at things they could have done better. But it will be interesting if the prequel is um, tonally different enough that it feels like its own animal. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So did you, uh, did you watch the trailer for... <sighs> what is this? What is this story called? The... Um... It's their next thing. It's the Golden Compass. Oh, the His Dark Materials? Yes, yes. You didn't read those, did you? Uh, no, I have not. I I feel like there's something that was in my, like, peripheral knowledge, but not something I ever read. I think maybe they came out after I progressed past that reading point or something. Right. I'm not sure. When, see, uh, when, yeah, they were published. The first one was published in '95, and they're yeah. kind of like I, I would I would turn them as kind of young adult or sure. mid grade. And I graduated in '96, so these were like definitely aimed at like kids nine, ten years younger than me. Right. Well, I mean, definitely it's uh, it's definitely a series that we were aged out of when it came out, but. When the Golden Compass film came out, I was interested in some of the imagery, although it felt derivative. But I thought, oh, there's something, some, some potential there. And then it, and then it died. It didn't do well in the box office or whatever. And that was the end of that franchise. I never ended up even seeing it. I just, it, I had it on my list, and then I never bothered. Did you see it, the movie? No, no, I, I, I actually think I started watching it and then. Like never finished it. It was one of those that was like streaming somewhere, and I just never saw any of it. I but, felt like the um, the trailers presented it looking an awful lot like a Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe knockoff. It definitely looks like that, particularly at the time that it was released. Yeah, yeah. it felt that way. Well, I did a little research on it after that preview, and according to what I read the readers of the books are excited because it looks like it's tying more to the, the tone and the style and the story that the books presented and not what the movie had done, where the movie had truncated the story and cut out a huge part of it and kind of reshaped it in a way. And the book readers were frustrated at what the movie did. And they seem to be pretty optimistic that the show version looks like it's going to tell something closer to what they were expecting in the first place. So <laughs> that's good to hear. Um, got a great cast. What's that? Great cast. Yep. Got a great cast. So HBO made a very deliberate choice to put this um, 
expansive fantasy series as the bookend trailer after Game of Thrones, which I can understand. But mm-hmm. I was totally surprised when you texted me this morning and asked me if I had seen the Westworld trailer and I didn't even know it existed because they didn't attach yeah. it to yeah. the Game of Thrones How did finale. They not, like they they had that like seven minute long Euphoria trailer that doesn't seem right. to the fucking audience of Game of Thrones at all, no. and they didn't show. Ah, and the Westworld trailer is one of those that I would have been so happy to have seen not knowing it was a Westworld trailer. Right? That's exactly what I was thinking. That's exactly what I was going to say. Had that thing started without warning of what that project was, that cold trailer open that HBO does, yeah, to see that this this sweet, pretty, like, pretty legit cyberpunk project is the tieback to the world of Westworld. Fuck me, man. I would have been so thrilled... As it is, I'm just medium thrilled because it's still a great. I just would have liked to have been surprised by it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm super curious to see where they're going with it. I think uh, What's-His-Name from Breaking Bad is great. I'm super excited about him being in it. Yeah, Yeah, I I love him. He's excellent. I just, it's it's just, it was handled very strangely to me. Yeah. Well, and also, you know what, for fuck's sake. Maybe there was some question about the degree to which people would be tuning into this finale, given the way that they've responded to criticizing some of the earlier episodes in this season. But it had its best ratings ever, right, for this finale. And the fact that they wouldn't just – why wouldn't they just bookend another – they don't give a shit. There's no time limit. Why wouldn't they bookend this one too? Right. Why did they put a Watchmen trailer in there? Well, I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Why one? Why I mean, only had one like plus the euphoria? One at the beginning, but yeah. yeah, it's just not logical to me that they were like the that euphoria one that they promoted so heavily right there was like it was aimed at people that are the kids who watch HBO but don't have the subscription to HBO. So it's nothing to convince right. them to not unsubscribe right. now that this this show's over. It was just right. Ah, such a strange choice to be. Yeah, in terms of market, they should have been pitching that their whatever it is that gold, that Golden Compass series and Westworld are the natural, obvious things to be pitching to the people who yeah. are trying to figure out what they're going to do with the vacuum of Game of Thrones, right? Yeah, yeah I, I I don't know. I was astonished. The one of the things I liked about that Westworld trailer though was um, I liked that you could see that Aaron Paul's character has this sort of true or a total recall kind of thing going on here where he's like he needs he wants he has a a mundane existence and he wants some fantasy and so he kind of is playing around with these you know these little jaunts into escaping his reality as the gateway to bridging him and that world with the Westworld stuff I think that was fucking great I also loved when they did that uh, that nod to the classic photograph of sitting on the I-beam and having your lunch kind of thing I love that we saw, but that's the first time we've seen evidence that there are other robotics in use in like this world. Like a robot looking. That are robot. not. Yeah. Right. There was not a humanoid fake fake human robot. It was a worker robot. And you know how I feel about worker yeah. robots. I like them. Yeah, I was so excited. I was, about I was that. super thrilled about it. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, you know, about, I, yeah. the other thing I really liked about that was the one dude's shirt when they're blowing up the wall. It, it, oh, yeah. It was illuminated board, and then it went off, and he was. it changed to a different word i don't remember what it's totally yeah Yeah. it's straight up it's straight up uh um 
it's cyberpunk without the schlocky, most obvious stuff that most cyberpunk projects have. It had a lot of the imagery. It had imagery in it that I would associate more with, like, Snow Crash than I would necessarily Walter John Williams, for example, or William Gibson. So, yeah, I... I was excited about it just as a, as a cyberpunk nerd. I was excited about it. So then they tied it to Westworld. But I mean, I knew going in that it was, but I love that um, they did that. So anyway, yeah, excited. I want it now. Now. Yeah, I want it. <laughs> All right, man, I'm going to let you get back. You have you have uh, 14,000 candles to pack or yeah. whatever it is. You have to leave for Phoenix first thing in the morning. So, yay. So if you're going to be in Phoenix, come see me. I'm at... Uh, I don't know what my address is there. My address. I will be at A1418 in the Artist Alley at Phoenix Fan Fusion this coming weekend. And then I'll be in Denver at J18 the weekend after that. And you're going to fit Endgame somewhere in there. I'm going to try, but I make no promises. <laughs> I, understand. I understand. I never make a lot, promises. A lot of stuff blows up and there's a lot of stuff that people are get excited about and then criticize later. Yeah. You'll love it. You'll love it. That seems All right, like cool, man. how it works. So, Game of we, Thrones, we managed uh, to, don't. for one season, we managed to pull off a recap, or not a recap, but a commentary on each episode after it aired, within the week that it aired, for the first time in our <laughs> podcasting history, so. Oh, yeah. It was, tr- it was a truncated season, but we still did it, so. Yeah. More Tyrion wine for us. Yes, more Tyrion wine. Except I'm drinking rum instead, but that's okay. Yes, it works. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Have a good night, everybody.